sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Welcome back to today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. Very excited to have today's guest join us. We are joined by the Director of Event Location Strategy and Planning for the NFL, Aubrey Walton. Aubrey has gone from growing up in a small town of only 900 people to being responsible for leading and managing the team who are responsible for choosing one of the biggest events every year, the Super Bowl, along with the NFL Draft and the Pro Bowl every year. Prior to this, Aubrey worked in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission, managing events that included the Grammy Awards, the Emmy Awards, the ESPYs, <laughs> multiple Rose Bowl games, various golf tournaments, and many more. We're very lucky to have Aubrey Dialing in from the Big Apple. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share my story. Very exciting Welcome, to have Aubrey. you here, all the way from New York. Now, we always start with the same question on this show, and it's our favorite question that we like to hear about. But what is your earliest memory in sport? Oh, my earliest memory. Let's see. In a professional setting, I'm assuming you mean that. Maybe even no, from your childhood. Like what got you childhood? interested in sport? Yeah. Okay. If it's from childhood, I do, I do have a very clear memory that I've always had. When I was, I want to say seven. It seems a little crazy that we can remember that far back, but... I was in Little League softball, and I remember that I always wanted to be a softball pitcher. And so at the age of seven, I remember pitching in my first Little League softball game. And when I was pitching, I struck out one of the batters. And from that point on, I still remember who the batter was, which I won't say it in case they (laughs) listen to the podcast 30 years later. But... (laughs) (laughs) um but that that was kind of like all right a confidence booster in that little what 30 second span that led to a crazy athletic career um as a student all through high school and uh even into college and then that's kind of what led me into the professional field of the sports industry was just like really anybody in the sports industry in a professional setting kind of came from a athletic background. And so that's kind of what got my start at a very early age. And now that I'm 35, still in the sports industry and, and looking forward to the next 20 years. Yeah. Did you, did you always play softball throughout school or did you play other sports as well? My main sport was softball, stayed with pitching up until age 18 right out of college or sorry, right out of high school, had the option to play in college. And then I also played basketball and ran cross country, which then led to six years of training for marathons. So kind of like basketball didn't go anywhere. Softball went somewhere, cross country went somewhere. So basketball, I would say is my, my third sport. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. And you went on to university and you majored in communications, but did you always think that you would land a job in sport or move into the sports industry and use that that there? I did actually, um, mostly because sport was the only thing that I really knew was a solid piece of what I wanted my future to be. 
So originally when I went to college, I wanted to be like a, a host of a show of some sort. So be in front of the camera. I quickly found out that was not for me. I actually hated it. And so just looking at the other options that Purdue University offered, um, went into the public relations and advertising route. And through my degree there, just started making connections with different internships that I had, which then led kind of into the events world that I eventually got into right after college graduation and have been in ever since. So yeah. it worked out. Definitely did work out. If, I mean, if you ever want to do any hosting, it's not quite the same and it's not behind a camera, but we could always use a US arm <laughs> for, uh, our podcast. So, we, you know, we'd love to have you. We can make Perfect. that come true. Sign me up. <laughs> awesome. Obviously, so prior to working at the NFL, you worked in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Sports and Entertainment Commission, and you worked on some uh, pretty world-renowned events there in terms of the Grammys, the NBA All-Star, X Games. Can you talk us through some of those experiences and what that was like? Absolutely. So I moved to LA when I was 22, newly 22. Didn't know a single person, just kind of moved out there on a whim because I had always had a dream to live in LA. And so took a chance on myself, made some connections that eventually hired me full time. And at the age of 22, when you grow up in a state like Ohio that has nothing compared to the state of California, let alone Los Angeles, it kind of opened my eyes to what opportunities were out there. And so when I got the opportunity at the LA Sports and Entertainment Commission, it kind of just solidified my thoughts on, yes, number one, I want to work in sports. Number two, I also love the entertainment side of the award shows. And number three, it introduced me to a plethora of people in the sports industry across those major events. I met people at the NBA. I met people at X Games. I met people here at the NFL. You name it, we kind of were introduced to all those people due to the events that came to LA and then us working on those events. So it kind of, it just worked out. Like there's, there's nothing um, technical about it. It just was the ability to create relationships and then um, obviously do the best at what you can do with the job itself and eventually worked six years at the sports commission, did a stint internationally for a year that got me other experience. And then again, through networking, landed the, this current NFL job. So I say all that knowing that the sports commission really was the start of everything. And then I still say to this day that it's because of that job and those people that I worked with that I am where I'm at currently. Yeah, that's awesome. And you touched on just the importance of networking and especially in the industries like, you know, sports and entertainment. It's such a, I mean, it's a huge industry, but it's a small network, I find. So you'll always, you know, come across same the same people or a person that knows this person. So keeping in contact and keeping those networks up is just so important, I think. So, so, so important. You hit the nail on the head. And yeah. if there's anything that listeners take from this, it's to network, 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 because you never know who's going to 
give you that next job or introduce you to somebody else who's going to change your life. Like there's a million things that could happen. You just got to put yourself out there. It's, yeah, as we said, it's so important, but it's a great case for how we've actually been introduced to you because you spoke to um, yes. some of our friends on the Sports Grad podcast a little while ago, um, Ruben, and I think he's, yeah, and Ryan, who he does his podcast with, and they put us in contact with you. So, you know, networking, yes, really at work. That's a great and, you know, example. Exactly. And nobody <laughs> ever says no, right? Like I've, I've never asked for an introduction or had someone ask me for an introduction where someone's like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. For you, yeah. I'm not going to help you out with that. So I think, yeah, building those meaningful long-term relationships is so helpful. Absolutely. That's a great example. And same with you guys. Like you met Ryan, you shared earlier how you met him. You yeah. wouldn't have known yeah. him if you didn't have that experience together. So Correct. Yeah, Ruben and I met on a study tour a few years ago in the U.S. And, you know, there's contacts in the U.S. that we've got now and obviously a little network in Australia. And we, yeah, Ruben and I, worked really close together in terms of location not the same organization and we used to you know run into each other and say hi so you keep those connections for quite a while so yeah it is really important can you tell us a little bit about your current role in the NFL it sounds like a a very cool job so maybe just give us a little bit of a rundown on, on what that's like absolutely my current role at the NFL is to manage all the cities and the NFL clubs in those cities that eventually want to host a Super Bowl, an NFL draft, an NFL Pro Bowl, combine, or kickoff. And now even going into the international realm of London and Germany. So what my role is, just going a little deeper from that statement, is to be the, be the person that knows everything in that city. So I go in, I learn the venues, I learn all the hotels, I learn who all the key people are within the city. So mayor's office, if the city has a sports commission or a convention and visitors bureau, which is usually the tourism arm of the city, I work with all those people. And what we do is we plan those events start to finish within, say, six months to a year, where we build out what we call a bid bid process. So we, for example, our Super Bowl bid is 150 pages long of all the details that we need a city to have or to provide to the NFL in order for them to be able to host the Super Bowl. And so within that 150 pages, that's what we work to plan. So this NFL event is going to go in this venue in this city. This group of the NFL is going to stay at this hotel for this reason, at this hotel rate over these dates. Like it goes super detailed across the city, but we plan those events anywhere from two years out in like a Pro Bowl draft scenario or up to six years out in a Super Bowl city because of all the details that go into it. So constantly on the road, constantly meeting new people, constantly exploring new cities, planning these events, and then working across the league and the various other departments to make sure that all the details of each department are captured within this bid and within the planning process. And then ultimately that's what we act on and operate on the next few years and making sure that that event takes its course. So lots of relationship building. Yeah. Lots of relationship building probably get to go to some pretty cool places. I imagine. 
What does that translate yes. like, I guess, to the actual Super Bowl week? Does it that become a pretty big and busy week for you or is your work sort of a lot done prior and more the planning process? Yeah, this this is always a question that's interesting only because I view my role as kind of like a sliding scale in that example. So like I like I mentioned, we're planning Super Bowl five to six years out. So again, in that example, it's me and my team for the first three years. And then as, as we're getting closer to the game, what we planned those last three years shift into more of an operational role. So what we just planned then shifts to our event ops team and they start to activate on everything that we just planned. So it's the first, I'm making this up, the first three years of the planning process is us, my team. And then it slowly gets thinner and thinner as the event gets closer, knowing that my team is still the main everyday contact. We're the ones that know all the details. We're the one that, ones that know all the finances, et cetera. And then during Super Bowl week, we turn into an operational role as well. So it's all hands on deck. Um, I'd say the month leading into Super Bowl, we, we all turn into ops people. And then as, as the ops team is kind of, leading into that host city year I'm already two three years ahead in the planning process for the next three Super Bowls so it's a sliding scale and it's across many years and many events that we're working and then I imagine you know the the team within the NFL have to be working really closely um team to make sure that type of sliding scale and that operational kind of handover um, can happen successfully Yes, we work very, very, very closely together. So we're super integrated, not only as an events team, but across the league, whether it's sponsorship, player marketing, our creative team is heavily integrated, social. I mean, you name it, we all have to communicate so well. And there, again, there's there's just so many details that we have to communicate. That's what it comes down to. And so it, it's helpful when we have that runway of multiple years in front of us, when it's the same team that starts on this given city or this event and is also the same team that ends on that event. So that way you're all working on it together for multiple years and that's the core team that knows every detail. We over here in Australia see Super Bowl as the, I guess, the event and there's all these crazy, you know, it's this huge event. There's lots of people. There's also, you know, all the ads, the halftime show. But what are the activations look like around that? I imagine there's a lot in the week leading up around the city in itself and um, lots of different things that are happening outside of the game. Yes, Um Actually, the week leading into Super Bowl is probably our busiest versus the actual game day. To me, me personally, game day is almost the easier piece because we know how to put on football games. We, we also know how to put on events, but it's day after day, multiple events every day, etc. And then it's almost like, hey, it's Saturday night, games tomorrow. We know exactly what to do. We're good to go. But some of the events that happen during Super Bowl week 
we start with our Super Bowl experience, which is our fan fest. So we have 2 million square feet of space where we have all of our sponsors activate and the public can pay for a ticket and they come in and do, they run the 40 yard dash. They throw footballs into targets. They submit for prizing. They have meet and greets with players. They do autograph sessions, all those different experiential things that's open roughly 10 days before the actual game. And then we also have some of our private events. So we have an award show for all of our NFL players, similar to the ESPYs that you mentioned before. We have our NFL house, which is our VIP experiential venue for the week that people can buy into. I mean, I could go on. There's there's multiple events every single day. We have concerts. We have, like I said, meet and greets. There's third-party vendors that have multiple parties around the city. We just have to be aware of everything and plan for everything, whether that's transportation, security, marketing, whatever it is, we have to be aware of everything happening in that city for those reasons, in addition to what the NFL puts on. It'd be pretty crazy in terms of that you're always in a different location. So you're running the same event, but you're throwing this, I guess, extra curveball of, you know, new city, new people and everything like that. And then Obviously, the last 18 months has been crazier than anyone could have ever expected with COVID. What was the impact of COVID like? Particularly, you know, like you said, you're planning some of these things sort of almost six years out and then to be to get around to the Super Bowl, for example, and you had, you know, re- reduction in crowd numbers, probably a lot of those side events couldn't go ahead. Can you talk us through what the impact of some of that was and, and how you worked through it? Yes, absolutely. To hit on your first point, Yes, it's it's almost like you're planning the same event in different cities, which means you're dealing with different people, dealing with different structures, dealing with different personalities, etc. So yes, part of the job is to be able to manage all those different people and who does what, who can make decisions, who needs to approve this, who needs to approve that. Saying all that helped in our Tampa Super Bowl example. So our Tampa Bay Sports Commission was the lead for the Tampa Super Bowl for the people on the ground in Tampa. So when COVID really started, not started, but really came to the U.S. um, heavily in March 2020, we had, what, 11, 10, 11 months to try and figure out what a global pandemic was number one. And then number two, how that affects every single event that we've planned for 2020 into 2021, and hopefully knock on wood, not longer than 2021. So talking about the Tampa Super Bowl, it changed everything that we had planned for the Super Bowl. Like you mentioned, we had reduction in crowds. We had to cancel almost all of our pre-events. We had to, like everybody had to wear masks and where devices that tracked who you were by. We also luckily came to a point with the Tampa Bay Sports Commission where we were able to work with the Tampa General Hospital System and invite all the medical staff that we were able to invite based on social distancing guidelines to the Super Bowl to thank them for everything that they just went through with COVID or were currently in during COVID. 
So it was just, it was completely, it turned every plan that we had worked on for the last, say, four years at that point on its head. And the last month, month or two was, was really trying to figure out how do we put on a national sporting event in the middle of a global pandemic? Luckily, everything we did worked. And again, knock on wood that it, that it did in props to our team and the entire league for figuring it out. But yeah, it's affected everything going forward. It affected the Cleveland draft in April. It's potentially in a good way, making us reimagine how we do our events going forward because things we had to put in place in Tampa and Cleveland worked really well because we had to at that point. But now going forward, we're like, maybe that works better anyway. So it's been a pro and a con, but again, we're just trying to readjust and figure it out just like the rest of the world. Yeah. And you, you mentioned there, you know, around Tampa Bay, who would have been putting, thinking about holding the Super Bowl for, you know, years and then um, probably, well, very unlucky having it in 2021. But you also have your own team that you you manage. How did you lead and motivate your team during the pandemic and keep that positivity up when you it was quite unsure as to what things were going to look like, how it was going to pan out? Yeah, really great question. I feel like at that point where it was at the highest and in our world, that was November, December, January, February, we were all working from home. There were very few people in New York, let alone in the office. So we were all working from all across the country, living on Zoom calls, living on cell phones, constantly trying to plan, again, this national sporting event. I feel like it was, honestly, I feel like our our events leadership did a really great job at keeping us all motivated. I would also say it was a lot of flexibility and adaptability by everyone on the team because, again, no one had been through this before. No one had a guide on how to work through a global pandemic and create national sporting events in a safe way during something like that. So I feel like it wasn't, it was keeping everybody's like mental health intact, making sure people physically were doing well, families. Like, I feel like there was a lot more emphasis on the personal life of everybody to make sure that was good, which then resulted in a positive professional life, knowing that we had the opportunity to create something really magical at a time when people really needed it. So I feel like just us thinking, keeping that as at the forefront of what we were doing was motivation in itself. In in America, did it were the public pro holding the Super Bowl or against it? Because in some events, you know, over here in Australia, there was a lot of the public saying we shouldn't be holding this, we're not. It's too much of a public health risk. I would say, I mean, you're always going to have people on both sides. Mm. In my own experience and kind of observation of how the public was reacting was that they were in support of of the Super Bowl, knowing that we were communicating all the health guidelines that we put in place. So we did have social distancing guidelines heavily put out there to the public. We had everybody wear masks. We had um, 
temperature checks. We had vaccination cards being reviewed. Like we had many other details in the event that kept everyone safe. And I think because that was communicated, that helped in the public communication piece. And ultimately it, it worked. We walked away in a very positive scenario from hosting the Super Bowl. So, I mean, like I said, you're always going to have people on both sides, but from what I observed, it was more the positive side than the negative. Yeah, I think everyone just appreciates <laughs> a bit of normality and having something to be excited about on the, on the TV. Kind of like the Olympics sort of right now. Yeah. 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 Like for us, the Olympics, because two, two of the biggest states in Australia were in lockdown. And that's right. just like literally been such a positive for us who can't live at five kilometres outside of our house. So, yeah. And it'd obviously yeah, be, very similar. it'd be a little while before we get this episode up, but the probably important thing about the Olympics is that it's the boomers versus the dream team. So our basketball <laughs> nations are playing uh, on Thursday. Do you think that Australia is any chance of knocking the US out of the semifinals and go to the gold medal game? <laughs> now we're going to fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes and we can move on to the next question, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we've just been speaking about the COVID scenario and how tough it's been. Obviously, a really challenging time for everyone professionally and personally. Can you maybe talk us through some other challenges you've faced in your career and what they may have been? Absolutely. Challenges, I would say, well, when I first started, it was confidence. I don't know what everyone's experience or background is that's listening. But my background is that I grew up in a very, very small village in the middle of Ohio in a place that is surrounded by farmland. So I I had to work really, really hard to make connections and have people take a chance on me in a place that I had zero contacts, meaning LA. And so I had to learn. And as I was kind of developed more skills, I got more confident. But at the beginning of my career, I mean, I had very limited experience. And therefore, here I am coming from the farmlands of Ohio in the US, going to one of the top two cities in the entire country working on some of the biggest national and international events in the world. And so I'd say confidence, number one, um, especially in my early 20s. And then I would also say I was completely outside of my comfort zone. Now I realize in a very good way because it challenged me to work through things and kind of go for what I wanted. And a lot of times that stops people because they're too scared to keep advancing and too scared to have the conversations they need to have or take the chance on themselves that they deserve to take a chance on. And so I'd say confidence, number one, and then being okay, being outside of my comfort zone and seeing where that could take me, number two. I think you know, moving cities is such a big deal for anyone, but it feels like it's a lot more common in the US, I would say, than Australia. Like a lot of 
people I know that work in sport in the US, they've had to sort of move from their their hometown to get work in in Australia. Um, you know, people do obviously move out from from country into the city for that sort of thing. But obviously, you had a great experience in doing that. Like you said, it got you out of your comfort zone. Do you ever think like what happens if I didn't make that move to Los Angeles and what would I have done and would I have still ended up sort of where I was? Does that ever come Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) Um, That's why I kind of – I like having conversations like this because, I mean, if if people knew where I came from, they'd be like, how the heck did you get to New York City via Los Angeles and work for – the largest sports organization in the country. Like, I don't, like, I don't even know. (laughs) Like there are still times I'm like, oh my gosh, I am in the middle of New York city and I still don't know how I got here, but I've been here six years and somehow it's worked out. So if there's any consolation of that, again, to any of the listeners, like, Whatever you aim to do, you can do it as long as you're not afraid to be great. And you're obviously really passionate about it as well. So you knew, you know, from an early age, that's what you wanted to work in sports. And, you know, obviously to work in sports, you probably were always going to have to move away from your little village in Ohio. <laughs> so, you know, once you set your, your mind to it, then it'll, you just got to work it out. It'll always work out if you keep persisting. Absolutely. Yes, you are correct in that statement. I also think back to being outside of your comfort zone statement. Again, at least in the U.S., people move to different cities. That's very common, mostly because each city has various opportunities that other cities don't. And so if you want a certain opportunity, you have to move to said city. And so... I think that alone challenges you to, again, meet new people because you might not know anyone in that city. My biggest thing here was learning public transportation. Like, (laughs) I have to ride multiple trains a day? Like, how do you even do that? There's a lot going on on those New York subways and things like that. So I think that's a very impressive. (laughs) I still get lost. (laughs) Like, just day-to-day culture here, you... There's a grocery store on almost every corner because people don't get groceries for extended time. They get groceries for that day. So like just simple things like that. You're like, all right, after this, I have to go to the grocery store and get dinner and then I'll do the same thing tomorrow. It's just, it's a different culture in each city and that's where you learn and that's where you grow and kind of build your network from there. Yeah, it's it sounds awesome though. It sounds like you're loving New York. Currently over here in Australia, there's a lot of discussion at the moment, especially about women in leadership positions or lack of women in leadership positions, I should say, in sport. So we don't really see many women CEOs or potentially head coaches of sports. Um and even in those really senior positions, what is it like over in the, the States and is the same discussion happening or do you think it's a bit more even spread? I would say, again, my own personal opinion is that we as the country still have a lot of work to do, but I do feel like we've taken some steps towards 
putting females in leadership positions. It's definitely in, improved in the last 10, 20 years. I really think that because of all the social conversation that happened in 2020, based on, again, whatever topic you want to fill in there, really changed the world and opened people's eyes and challenged ideas and how things were done. And coming now kind of on the other side of COVID, what we hope is the other side, I see that only improving from here in a much better way. So I would say we still have, we do have women in leadership positions, but we have a long way to go yet. Yeah, that's very, probably very similar to here. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to share the stories of people like yourself who are doing you know, so much, so much great work and, and really highlight that and hopefully provide a little bit of inspiration for the people that there is a pathway there for you. Obviously, you've worked on a lot of great events. Can you maybe talk us through what your most rewarding or favourite events been that you worked on? My favourite event. You're going to make this hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> choosing um, a favourite child. Yeah, seriously. I would say... I'll give two examples, one from my LA days, one from NFL days. In LA, my favorite event that we worked on was the Grammy Awards. So that was, again, working with the Recording Academy to create experiences for their guests that happened over the weekend leading into the Grammy show on Sunday. And so as a child, that was always a dream of mine was to work on award shows and luckily, through my experience, I've been able to do almost every award show now 10 times. So it's it's been fun to see kind of, again, from my childhood dream of watching the award shows on TV to then being able to do it multiple years to then kind of becoming a fan again has been really cool to see and experience. And that was just kind of, again, just a dream come true. And then on the NFL side, my favorite event that we've done was the 2019 NFL draft in Nashville. That one I say because I love country music <laughs> and Nashville is the best city in the country for country music. And so that event was just such a fun experience to be a part of because we integrated music into the event which is something we hadn't done for many years leading into that specific year. And so it was just a memorable experience. And then Nashville in itself is just such a cool city. Everyone's super nice. If no one's been there, please try and get to Nashville. You'll, you'll love it. And so just, again, just the experience and the ambiance and the music and entertainment piece of that was something that I will never forget. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people pretty jealous of some of the things you've spoken about today and some of the places that you get to visit and the events you get to work on. It sounds very cool. What about in terms of yourself and continuing to develop and learn? Do you take time to do that? Obviously, you said you're on the road a lot, so I imagine it might be um, pretty hard, but what are some of the things that you do? Yeah, I think this piece is really important because, again, talking about female leadership we have to help ourselves and help each other get to that next next point. 
and create a pathway for each other. And so what I like to do is I continually have what I call, I made this up earlier, but earlier meaning when I first started professionally, (laughs) my own coffee program. So what that means is I, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go get coffee. It could be lunch (laughs) or just a 30 minute meeting. I mean, there's coffee. It sounds it's already <laughs> very good. So, yep, we're, we're listening. Our You're in. <laughs> but I ask people either that I already know and want to help sustain relationships with or like I'll email someone at the NBA or I'll email someone at the Olympics or, again, whoever you want to meet. I'll blind email them or shoot them a message on LinkedIn and say, hey, can we get 30 minutes together? I'm just curious on picking your brain about your background and your experience and kind of how you got to where you are. And then honestly, most people will say yes, as long as you put yourself out there like that. And make sure that when they say yes, and when you do meet in person or have that Zoom call, that you're prepared with questions to ask. Otherwise, they're going to think it's a waste of time. And I cannot stress that enough, speaking from experience. So do that. Make sure that you're talking to people. Make sure that you're talking to people that have jobs that you want, that work at the companies that you want, that are male or female people that have succeeded in ways that you eventually want to succeed. Or maybe they're in something totally different than what you're in, and they can still provide insight into how they've gotten to where they're at and how they define their own success. So it's literally, at least again, in my experience, just talking to people, asking to have the conversation and also doing the same for others. So you're learning from others, but you're also being a mentor to others. So be that person that people are comfortable coming to, knowing that they can trust you, that you're a loyal person and if you do all that and be kind to everyone, then you're going to do well. Yeah, I'd love that idea. You make, make your own little coffee program. And yeah. also, you know, I find it even just chatting to you for the last 45 minutes that you've gone from a little, I shouldn't say a little bit, like a young female <laughs> in um, Ohio with, and you, you called out that you had no confidence and now you're here kind of you know, just sending notes and emails off to people that you've never met wanting to to meet up with them in huge, mm-hmm. you know, you're working for the NFL and you're talking to people in all different sporting organisations. So obviously you've come along a long way yourself. I feel like that was an awesome tip, but do you have any, we have just one last question. Do you have any other tips that you would give to, you know, female sports administrators or, um, you know, someone in a really small village in America wanting to to make it in the big smoke themselves? Yes, I do, actually. Something else I learned, and I'd be interested to hear your guys' experience as well, but something I've, I've actually really learned here at the NFL more deeply, I should say, is that if you're, let me rephrase this, you should always have a voice. And when you're invited to a meeting, you're invited for a reason. So share what's in your head, share your experience, share your thoughts, share your brainstorming. Know that you are a person that's there for a reason and therefore you should 
be vocal in a smart way, but be vocal. State, like if you're going to ask for a raise or a promotion, be specific. Again, do the work and do the background work that supports your statements, but also be confident enough to where, yeah, I am really good at what I do and I do X, Y, Z for the company. And this makes my manager's boss or my manager's job better. And therefore I should be promoted or I should get a raise and I should have this amount increase or whatever it is, have a voice. You're meant to have a voice. And so I hope all the females listening or anyone listening uses that. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome and a perfect way to to wrap up because we've absolutely loved chatting to you and thank you for sharing your experiences within the NFL and also outside of it and good luck with NFL 2022. Hopefully it's not too badly affected and yeah, thanks again. Yes, thank you for having me. I enjoyed thank it. You. Appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully we can get over and meet in person one day. Absolutely. Look forward to we'll it. We'll be on our coffee program. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yes. do it. Yes. Up. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.